Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Dallas to speak with Nick Angstadt of Locked On Mavs about Luka Doncic's start to the season and Kristaps Porzingis' adjustments. As a member of the Mavericks, we go to Houston to speak with Jackson Gatlin of Locked On Rockets about James Harden's insane form and the injuries that Houston are suffering at the moment. And lastly, we go to New York to speak with Gavin Shaw of Locked On Knicks about the turmoil in the front office, the play on the court, David Fisdale as coach, and all of everything that is Knicks-related. It's all coming up, the biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. Going to dig into some news across the league, some uh, good stories, some bad stories, some big performances, all of that good stuff. So let's get to it. I'm joined now by one of the hosts of the Locked On Mavericks podcast. Nick Angstadt is here with me. The Dallas Mavericks currently, as we uh, as we speak, Nick, they're sitting in uh, the seventh spot in the Western Conference, seven and five, and uh, it's been a pretty strong start to the season. But uh, a couple of weird losses to uh, the New York Knicks. Um, I don't know if it's putting a dampener on the start to the season, but it uh, it wasn't great to see both of those games go the uh, the other direction. Yeah, they were such weird games. You know, it was Christoph Porzingis' revenge game against his team and then the return to Madison Square Garden. And it almost felt like in 2007, if you remember when the Mavs were the number one team in the NBA and they met against the uh, the Golden State Warriors, the We Believe Warriors in the first round of the playoffs, and then they just get knocked out of the playoffs by, you know, in the first round. Uh, like one of the first times a one seed's been knocked off by an eight seed. They just had their number. It was just a very weird thing where they just matched up super well with the team. And the the energy at MSG was in, was insane. You could you could even hear it on TV, just chanting the asshole chants, the, the <laughs> chance of, you know, KP sucks every single time he gets the ball, every time he checks in. And the Knicks really fed off that energy, and they have one of the worst defenses in the NBA. And they were feeding off of it, and they were really, you know, stopping the Mavs. And the Mavs didn't really help themselves either, making shots. So those two games were, were definitely weird. And I had more people tweet me about Luka Doncic's rotation and how he was sitting out, and they were blaming it on Carlisle's rotation. But it was just a very weird game all around. They did back that up with a, a win over the NBA champion Toronto Raptors on Saturday. They, they currently sit seven and five. The Mavericks. Let's talk a little bit about Doncic though, because of course he's been fantastic this season, averaging twenty eight and a half points, almost eleven boards, nine assists per game, and most importantly, Nick is the efficiency is way up. This is a guy that, especially after the trades last season, it cratered. He couldn't hit free throws for some unknown reason after being an eighty percent free throw guy over at Real Madrid, but he's back up at like eighty three percent from the line this year. He's uh, he's hitting his twos at a huge rate. His usage is through the roof. The minutes are up. He is putting himself not only into all-star consideration, but all-NBA and maybe even in that MVP discussion. Yeah, I've heard a lot of national people say there's only one or two MVP candidates right now. It's Giannis and Luka, which is just wild to me to think about. I think there's more candidates than that, but 
those are the two names I hear mentioned a lot. And then we, we're also keeping track on Locked On Mavs of the is Luka Doncic a top ten player club, and every national person or every notable media person that says that he's a top ten player in the NBA, we put him in the we put him in the the club. So if you hear of any, tweet us at Locked On Mavs. His his percentages are are up in every position ex- or every spot except for a three point. Yep. He's still taking a bunch of you know step back threes. He's still taking a bunch of, of wild shots, and a lot of them are just pull up shots that are really tough. But his field goal percentage is up overall because even though he's taking eight you know threes a game and missing a bunch of them, because in the paint he's been incredible. He just controls bigs with the way that he moves the ball. He tries that ball fake where he, he puts the ball on a player's back and tries to make him spin around. He tries that once a game and he maybe he gets it you know every once in a while, but he just has a bunch of moves like that where he kind of show and go and he can move around and the way that he just the way his footwork works in the paint. He had Hassan Whiteside like spinning around in circles in the paint and just completely jumping the wrong way. And he just, you know, leans in for a layup. Just in the paint, he's been so good. His passing in the paint has been really good too. Nine assists a game so far this year. His efficiency is just up overall. He has so much control over the game right now. He's he's really taken a step. And some people were asking on Mavs Twitter if he should be in the category for most improved this year. Yeah, look, he's taken a big step. I don't like to put uh, second-year players into most improved discussion, but he has taken huge steps forward from a guy that was already historically good last year. How have you seen the uh, the Dallas start to Kristaps uh, Porzingis' portion of, or his Dallas portion of his career? Because he has been a little bit up and down, averaging under 19 points per game. The shot isn't there, un- uh, shooting under 40% from the field. What is it rust with Porzingis? You know, is it just getting acclimated to a new team, a new system? Like, what's the biggest thing that stands out to, to you? Or have you been, you know, fine with what he's done so far yeah i did a video a breakdown video recently on the free dawkins channel uh, on the on their breakdown playlist you can go look at it. it's why kp thinks he's struggling right now and i tracked a lot of his shots and he's he's shooting decent from three and he's been up you know kind of been up and down from three depending on the game because of the sample size but and he's been fine around the rim too he's seven foot three he can do a lot of putbacks he's getting a lot of alley-oops from luca who luca has become incredible at, at lob passes but where KP really struggles is that mid-range area from like five five feet, I guess, out to the uh, you know like the mid-range, like to the three-point line, basically, because he's trying a lot of these post-ups. He's trying a lot of you know drive the ball from the top of the key into the lane, and he can't get all the way to the rim because he's not exactly you know incredible ball handler, and so he's stopping and pulling up for shots. He's trying you know baby hooks and things like that and just that kind of, that part of his game there's something that's just not clicking right now and he was never incredible at that but he could hit some of those shots like that he could hit sort of the the dream shake turn around hit a jumper and he's hit a couple of those but overall he's been really struggling in that area of the court and yeah, <laughs> Mavs Twitter has been very upset with him taking taking post-ups and they kind of just want it to be over now and Carlisle keeps saying after every game it's kind of a, a drinking game or a joke right now that at the end of every game, Carlisle says, I just got to get him better shots about Porzingis. He says that every single game. I think he said it four or five times legitimately. And, uh, yeah, it's a big story, but he's still putting up numbers, and that's just a testament to how talented this guy is, that he can be struggling and still be putting up, what, like 19 points, the most rebounds he's ever put up, still blocking two and a half shots a game. He's just an incredible talent, and he's still really trying to figure out how to fit in this offense and honestly fit with one of the best players in the NBA right now because he's never had to do that before. 
Yeah, he, he's working as a, as a second option. And again, those other things, that the, the shot blocking, the rebound, it's all there. It's just when that shot starts to fall. And then that's just, a, it's a quick turnaround. Once that goes in, then everything else looks so much better in, in comparison, even though those other, those other things are already there. Now, one other question for you, Nick. How many more minutes do you think we see Courtney Lee play this season? Because he's uh, inexplicably, in my opinion, started three games. And this is just a, more, more of a criticism of some of Carlisle's overall rotations. In the last two games, he started, uh, in the last two games he started, he played six minutes and then was never seen again. And then four games <laughs> later, started, played five minutes and was never seen again. This is a broader question about the Carlisle rotations. Will he ever settle down with this mix and match and guys moving in and out and trying to just throw random players in there? Like, what is going on with these seemingly... Um, nonsense isn't the right word, but there's there's a lot of uh, lot, lot <laughs> it's of, almost cl- it's close though. There's a lot of questions I have with this consistent chopping and changing with uh, what uh, what Carlos doing. Do you think that it's helping or, or hindering this team? Yeah, the Courtney Lee stuff is just I mean it's ridiculous. He's we we argued all off season about who's going to be the fifth starter. We thought it would be you know Delon Wright with Dwight Powell and then obviously Luca and KP. We thought those would be the the four starters, and then the fifth starter, we were like, well, it could be Justin Jackson, could be Dorian Finney-Smith, could be Tim Hardaway Jr., and we argued about all three of those players all summer, and then all of a sudden, the first game of the season, it's Courtney Lee, just out of left field. He didn't play very very much at all last year after coming over in the trade. Carlisle said that they watched footage of Courtney of all the players in the Mavericks playing against Bradley Beal and said that Courtney Lee was the guy that guarded Bradley Beal the best. So that's why he decided to play him. But yeah, he only played like six or eight minutes and never saw him again. And the Courtney Lee stuff is just weird. I can't really explain it. There's just, it's a a Carlisle thing that'll never be explained. The rotation though, overall, the Mavericks, you know, one of the big questions in the off season was, do they have actual depth or did they just have a bunch of guys? And they do have a bunch of of guys that can play. I mean, uh, Boban gets minutes here or there. He's played five games so far. JJ Barea has only played one game and he's, he's pretty healthy right now. He can play if they wanted him to. And, uh, Courtney Lee, he's you know only played three games. Ryan Brokoff's not seen any time at all, and they just have so many guys. They've, they've seen the last couple of games. They've seen to limit the rotation to ten or eleven, which which is actually limiting the rotation. And Justin Jackson seems to be the odd man out in that rotation. Tim Hardaway Jr. is getting an explicable amount of minutes for what he brings to the court. Uh, Jalen Brunson seems like he is mirroring his minutes with Luca's, and so he is or not mirroring. He's the, he's playing the opposite minutes of Luca. He's playing. Uh, whenever Lucas sits. And so he's kind of, his minutes have been limited over the last couple of games too. And so Carlisle's starting to get to that point, but you just never know. He's, he's He loves tinkering with lineups. He loves playing weird things together. We've seen Porzingis and Boban play together, and th- that's been pretty good when it has played. Um, and so, yeah, he, he's still trying to figure it out. And the rotation is just, it's very weird right now. And I don't know if they'll ever really settle on it. That is uh, one of Rick Carlisle's staples. He's uh, is maddeningly inconsistent rotation tinkering. Dallas, of course, yeah, off to this good start, 7-5. and five. Nick, you'll have it all covered for us over on Locked On Mavericks. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Absolutely. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Rockets podcast, Jackson Gatton, is here with me today to talk about these uh, Houston Rockets who are currently on the back of a five-game win streak, a huge 20-point victory against the Timberwolves on Saturday. Jackson, it was a little bit of a rocky start to the season for Houston, but uh, things are back on track, and it's a pretty familiar script for things to uh, be back on track with James Harden putting up uh, historic numbers over the last couple of games. Absolutely. I mean, we've become just 
numb to the greatness that is James Harden, the numbers that he puts up on a nightly basis, and he's not even really back to form in the sense that he's still shooting a bit below his career average from three. I think he's hovering right at about 33% right now. So once he gets that up more towards the 36, 37% we're accustomed to, I think he can very easily break that 40 points per game metric, and I called that earlier this season that I thought that he would eclipse his 36 points per game metric that he set last year, and I even when I when I claimed that, I felt that it was a little bit of a reach. But now I'm I'm feeling I'm, I'm feeling very vindicated in this uh, early season stretch. Yeah, he is averaging at the moment 39 and a half points per game. Usage hasn't increased that much. It has been a small increase, which again, some people would be significantly surprised by considering the swap of Russell Westbrook in for Chris Paul. But mainly the Rockets are playing at a significantly increased pace this season. So that's helping Harden's uh, performance. He's averaging 43 over the last seven games, eight assists, over two steals. And you're right about that shooting, just 33% over the course of the season. But over those uh, last seven games, he's shooting 41% from deep, true shooting of 63%. It's just more of the same. He keeps well, it's more of the same, but improved every season. the The pace factor is something interesting, though. Um, what has been the impetus behind that? Yeah, it's it's been a pretty significant rise in the style of play and the pace of play from the Rockets. Definitely, and I think that as far as James Harden is concerned, he does have more of a methodical, measured play style. He likes to kind of slow things down and work himself into a rhythm in the half court, but that doesn't mean that he's unable to play at a higher pace. That first year that Mike D'Antoni was in Houston, that 16-17 season, the Rockets were one of the faster-paced teams in the league, and they did get up a lot of shots. They got up and down the court quite a bit, but when you bring in Chris Paul, the pace slows down a little bit, and James can thrive in a system that is fast-paced or slow-paced, and we're seeing that this season where the pace has accelerated the mere existence of Russell Westbrook, even when he's not on the court the Rockets are playing at a faster pace just because that's what that was the goal was to get the entire team playing at a faster pace to better I guess accent the strengths of Russell Westbrook's game and by by and large that's also getting hardened more shots that's increasing his ability to put up numbers because uh, because of the increased pace overall as we as we record this the Rockets are sitting second in the Western Conference a 10 and 3 record just half a game behind the Lakers, and it's not though it's been a, a smooth sailing to to get here. Injuries have beset this team. We know Eric Gordon's out for six weeks with knee surgery. They're playing currently without Daniel House, who's missed the last three and a half games uh, with a bruised back. Clint Capella's missed the last two with a concussion. Um, in terms of uh, those guys, you know, what's the prognosis on, say, Capella and House and when we can expect those guys back? Right now, Capella is Capella and House are actually both day to day. There's a there's a hope that House will actually play, and as we record this uh, this Sunday, there's a hope that Capella, or that House will play on Monday for the uh, Portland Trailblazers game. Although he is still experiencing a bit of soreness in that lower back, Capella is planned to still be held out for that Trailblazers game. So that'll be one more game where you've got Tyson Chandler starting. Thirty seven year old Tyson Chandler, year nineteen in the NBA. I likened it to, or Ben Dubose and I on a recent pod likened it to the role that Dikembe Mutombo played back on those late 2000s Rockets teams where Yao Ming went down to injury in the middle of the Rockets' 22-game win streak and started the rest of the season and was a key contributor in about a limited role of you know 18 to 22 minutes a game, more or less. And that's kind of what we're seeing in a in a smaller scope from Tyson Chandler right now, filling the shoes of Clint Capella. 
We saw Isaiah Hardenstein put in a big performance over the weekend on the back-to-back as well. Played 31 minutes filling in for Capella and getting uh, all being a key piece in that victory against the Wolves. He's been a guy, you know, it's been around for a few seasons now, but you know, to get these contributions from a guy like Hardenstein, Ben McLemore, 20 points in each of the last two games filling in for House and for Gordon. Uh, players like Chris Clemens coming up big in that game against Minnesota. Like This Rockets depth gets criticized quite a bit, but we've got these players who for many NBA fans are unknowns, but they are stepping up. Now, how much of that is the Rockets' talent, scouting and development, the coaching system, or just these players being, I guess, underappreciated because of the large load that those other guys take on when everyone's healthy? I think that it's actually just a mix, kind of a melting pot of all those variables you just listed off. But there's an issue with that Mike D'Antoni, and this is one of the largest issue that most Rockets fans and most uh, even media members have with D'Antoni is that they criticize him for his short rotations. He tends to stick with his top eight or top nine guys, and he doesn't really like to deviate from that. He doesn't like to extend the leash, so to speak, on some of the younger players, some of the rookies on the roster, like uh, Chris Clemens or like the younger guys, Gary Clark, Isaiah Hartenstein, unless he's forced to. And good things can happen when you get young players a chance to shine in a system like the Rockets, or just any system for that matter. You can look at last year how the Rockets were dealing with a couple of injuries. Chris Paul missed some time, and I want to say that Eric Gordon also missed some overlapping time when Chris Paul was also yeah. out last year, which led to the emergence of Daniel House because they needed bodies. They needed somebody to plug into the roster, and Daniel House showed up, played well. They went 9-3 and three for a stretch. He was the starting forward, and now Daniel House is re-signed, and he's your starting small forward, and he's shooting over 40% from behind the arc. He's putting up, I don't have his points per game metric right in front of me, but he, he's filling that role well. He's excelled. His defense has gotten better, and that only happened because he had a chance to show what he brought to the table. So these guys, Clemens, Hartenstein, Clark, not so much, unfortunately. They got a chance to show what they can bring, and my main hope and request really is that Dan Tony doesn't forget what these guys can bring to the table when he does get his rotation players back in form. On house, he is averaging 12 points per game so far this season on a true shooting of 66%. He's averaging a block a game. He's averaging over a steal a game and five boards, hitting two and a half threes at 46%. And while those numbers are, are really high, obviously he shot 42% from three last season and he finished his twos at 60% as well. He's extremely efficient in those 39 games last season and it's carried over this year. And he looks to be a really solid fit with these guys, with Harden, with Westbrook and providing that defense with PJ Tucker in the forward slots. And of course, getting him back is going to help this team quite a bit. But the fact that they're able to go on this winning streak when key players like Capella and House and Gordon are all sidelined. And then over the weekend, we had Westbrook out as well as he rests on the uh, on the one of the games of the back-to-backs, as we've seen happen twice this season. It's a real testament to what Harden's doing and to what D'Antoni's been doing with this squad. It's looking pretty good at the moment, Jackson, for the Rockets, and you'll have it all covered for us over on Locked on Rockets as the season continues. Thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA with me. Of course. Happy to do it anytime. Thanks, Josh. Use your basketball knowledge to prove that you have what it takes at mybookie.ag where they make it easy to play and even easier to get paid. Use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA and mybookie will match 50% of your first deposit. Listening on the go? If you can't visit mybookie right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On Sponsors at LockedOnPodcasts.com slash offers. Now I'm joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw is here to talk about the team that is languishing at the bottom of the Eastern Conference with a 3-10 and record, of course. There's front office turmoil. There's coaching uh, uncertainty. Gavin, um, 
just a regular year as a Knicks uh, Knicks uh, host, I guess. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm two two decades into it as a fan, and, and only a year and a half into actually being uh, paid to watch every game. So <laughs> that's it's a little bit more painful. There there are flashes of of light in the darkness, but uh, they have been uh, few and far between. Let's uh, talk this season. Let's talk about some of those flashes because I did mention it earlier. I talked to uh, to Nick of Locked On Mavs. Uh, those two games, the two wins against the Mavericks. I guess some people would be surprised. Uh, they comprise sixty seven percent of their total wins this season. But what did they do right? in those games that potentially Knicks fans could look at to something they could build on for the rest of this season? Um, I think they were united by hate of Chris Stapp's Porzingis. <laughs> not, not that the individual guys on the team have any particular distaste for him, but it's sort of this this rallying cry that everything, that, that, that trade sort of summed up everything that's wrong with the Knicks. And granted, there were extenuating circumstances. There are a lot of other people that uh, covered the team, including my co-host, that will tell you that that was absolutely the uh, right move. But I think so much of Knicks' angst and like everything they've done wrong for the last two decades is centered on that trade. It was incredibly motivating to beat him, and it actually got these guys playing cohesively, which is something that David Fisdell has failed to do. And, and frankly, this front office sort of set the team up to fail because they built this roster that's totally in congruent with pieces that don't really fit together but for two nights this year it all sort of came together as kind of Marcus Morris envisioned it in preseason his 90s basketball with these guys just kind of playing their asses off and really really working hard and as a unit for a unified goal and I think ultimately what it came down to is they kind of cared more KP was a little bit rattled and Doncic was the only player on Dallas who showed up for those two games. Morris is right about 90s basketball because the majority of the Knicks games have been pretty unwatchable from that uh, that perspective. But let's talk about the the upheaval, the weird uh, general manager, president press conference. Now, we know so much of the problems with this franchise stem from the owner. He can't be fired uh, at this point. Anyway, let's hope we have some sort of secret, secret recordings of him to, to get him out of there. But <laughs> the, the blame, I feel like, is distributed really uh, uh, about what's happening here. The front office, a horribly constructed roster, you just touched on that, that was really given no chance to win the overlapping skill sets. Everybody's an ISO high usage player. But I also think, and some people are giving Fizdale a pass, and I am definitely not one of those, his, his utilization of this talent has been confusing. Big minutes for Marcus Morris. Kevin Knox pushed into a really minuscule role as we're trying to develop for the future. The back and forwards with Dennis Smith and Frank Nilakina out of the rotation, into the rotation. 30 minutes one night for Smith, 10 the next. Alonzo Tria plays 25, and then he's out of the rotation. No consistency. Taj Gibson now starting over Mitchell Robinson. What All this inconsistency, it's not leading to any wins. We know that. So what is the idea behind this constant chopping and changing and seemingly not trying to look to the players who might be able to be a core of a the next good or, at this point, average Knicks team? Well, it's, it's not an idea. It's a total lack of idea, and it's David Fisdale's utter inability to establish an identity. And, I mean, there's there's sort of this debate amongst Knicks fans. Is it the front office or is it Fisdale? I mean, I, okay, I always go with uh, why not both. It, it, it is ultimately both. And, and that's the thing. Even with a poorly constructed roster, there's nothing – preventing David Fisdale from attempting to establish some kind of identity and looking at his pieces and saying, okay, we have to play this way. And and ultimately uh, the way I would like for them to go is saying, all right, we need to emphasize the young guys. And and in that pursuit, and this sounds insane because he was, he was kind of their crown jewel free agency signing, but they 
ultimately, like for this team to work, they have to play Julius Randle off the bench or trade him because it, it just doesn't fit. He's constantly getting double teamed due to the Knicks' lack of shooting around him. And the fact that his three-point shooting, I would say somewhat predictably, has completely fallen off, has rendered him a pretty useless player. And he's puts up decent counting stats on occasion. But in terms of actually contributing towards winning, I mean, he, he's been essentially non-functional in, in that respect. And I think a lineup with... Marcus Morris, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson at center, whether, I mean, I like Frank Nilakina in there, whether you want of him or Dennis Smith Jr. and R.J. Barrett. It's not a team that's going to win a ton of games, but they will be better. You mix in Damian Dotson, who actually plays both ways and can shoot the basketball. Wayne Ellington, who's been in and out of the rotation, even when he's not shooting well, at least has some gravity and makes it a little bit easier for the rest of the guys on the floor. And the whole issue with Fisdale is he, he can't commit to anything. One game he's doing one thing, one game he's doing next. And, and to, for lack of a better phrase, he's just throwing dot, dot, dot at the wall and hoping it sticks, and, and it hasn't. It's never going to stick with, with what he's doing, really. There is there is no plan with anything that Fisdale's doing. I, I'd say there's a yeah, nine, if we play this season out nine times out of ten, he's gone before uh, February in, in nine of those. I, I just don't see, look, and we can blame the front office. Fisdale is not surviving this. He is not, and as you said, he could make decisions that would be defensible. And you'd go, well, he's doing what he can with a terrible roster. But he's not. He's actually making the problem worse. And they might be bad if they play Kevin Knox 30 minutes a night, but newsflash, they're bad already. Like, how much worse can you get than the worst team in the worst conference? Like, it doesn't get any worse than this. Um, if you Now, we, we've heard of this Steve Mills um, putting the laying the groundwork for the firing of Fisdale. Uh, to, to James Dolan by saying, oh, he should be doing better. We visage more for this team. When do you think this happens? Uh, well, I, I thought it was going to happen this week. We, we were talking after the Cavs game, and I was like, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to coach another game. And then they come back, they beat Dallas, obviously. Uh, the other night, they lose a heartbreaker to the Hornets, though I, I secretly kind of like that it helped their lottery chances a little bit. Um, I think it's going to be maybe a few weeks. Like, I, I just can't see him getting through the season at this point. I think this team is too dysfunctional. Like, maybe if they had beaten the Hornets, like you could say there was a little bit of positive momentum. And, and they clearly, they have played a lot better the last two games. So I kind of want to reserve judgment and see if beating Dallas for a second time maybe spurred something in them. They're going to get Reggie Bullock back in the next uh, couple of weeks, who, if nothing else, is at least another 3 and D guy and someone who's functional on both ends of the floor. So th- there are some signs that they're figuring out things in a minute way. But the fact that they're still playing Julius Randle for 30-plus minutes a game, and I, I just cannot see that changing with the front office trying to justify their horrific offseason um I, I think the blame is ultimately to fall on Fisdale and the whole thing with Steve Mills I mean on and off he's played a pretty significant role in Knicks management for I think over a decade at this point and, and the guy is a survivor even if he's not a very good um basketball front office person for lack of a better term he, he knows how to manipulate he knows how to stay in James Dolan's ear James Dolan has liked him for a really long time and I think he knows that ultimately he's going to have to scapegoat another coach, and that's going to be David Fisdale at some point down the road. And not that Fisdale's particularly deserving of a job, but Mills should be just as fired as he is, and ultimately Fisdale's going to be the guy who goes first. So I, I would guess to, to actually answer your question, sometime in the next 15 to 20 games. And if not, it means something really turned around for the Knicks in a meaningful way. Well, hopefully for your sake and for Knicks fans everywhere, things can turn around in some way, whether that is the removal of Fisdale or Mills or any of those guys or all of those guys. Hopefully something positive turns around for the Knicks and you'll have it all covered for us Gavin over on Locked On Knicks thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me yeah of course anytime I'm hoping for more Knicks disasters so we get to talk more often Josh
And that will do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you're following me at RedRock underscore B-Ball on Twitter and subscribing to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and give us a five-star rating and review. If you did miss any of the offers we've got, go to LockedOnPodcasts.com slash offers so you can check out all the great deals we've got for you over there. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.